Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Andrew. And I'm Rachel. And we are Picture the Scene Podcast. We are a true crime podcast aiming to put you, the listener, at the scene of the crime. We bring you a new episode on a weekly basis, mainly focusing on lesser-known crimes from the UK and Ireland. However, at times, we expand into cases from anywhere in the world and all ones that are well-known. As we are a true crime podcast, listener caution is always advised, and today there's no exception, so please be aware. If you like what you... In fact, today, there might be some very graphic violence described. Might be. I can't remember what I wrote. How I described it, I think I cut most of it out because it's a bit too gratuitous, but I may have left some in. Um, So, yeah, so please be aware, people. If you like what you hear, please do follow us on whatever social media platform you prefer. Subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform of choice. And if you have the capability, give us a rating and review as well. It means the world to us. Now, if you like us that much that you want to support us, you can do so for less than the price of a cup of tea or coffee on Patreon. With our lowest tier starting at £1 per month, we release bonus content every month. The links to our social medias and Patreon can be found in the show notes or visit patreon.com forward slash scenepod. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash s-c-e-n-e-p-o-d. Now, we do also, where possible, release our episodes a week early for our Patreon supporters. So unlike Dr. Sam Beckett, you don't need to put right what once went wrong to hear us a week in advance. All you have to do is support us on Patreon. Feel these uh, time travel references are getting a bit more obscure, Rachel. How have you been since we last spoke? Well, first of all, can I say that was a very well polished intro? Thank well you. done. Didn't, yeah. All good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thanks. Can't grumble. Life goes on, doesn't it? Indeed. Indeed, it does. Glad I'm... you can't grumble. I, I can't wait for you to return to the days of being sparkly, though. I am sparkly. I tell you what I'm not, though, Rachel. One of our listeners reached out to us on Twitter, and they wanted a few photographs of us because they want to see what we look like. Now, unfortunately, Uh-oh. she described us uh, described me as a hairy biker. Now, I think secretly I won't mind being a hairy biker, but I'm not a hairy biker, so I'm sparkly, she's word but not gruff hairy. as well. Gruff, yes. <laughs> gruff. <laughs> I like that. Uh, but I, I love the fact that they suggested I was exactly as uh, they pictured. So yeah, winning at life. Yes. My voice matches my appearance. And we love interaction with our listeners. It makes us realize that people do listen to us. So we're happy to have a conversation on almost anything. Yeah, especially when they pay me compliments and uh you know, don't insult me. Happy days. Yes. <laughs> I thought he's gonna say and they insult you. So um <laughs> I was, but then I thought about it and then I thought, no, best not to. Start <sighs> this is the you know, episode two of a new season. We need to be um a little kinder to each other. We can wait until we get towards the mid season break when we can um be like a bit meaner, maybe. Yeah. Okay, Grant. We don't have a mid season break, but yeah, we can wait till we'll, towards we get get towards well, that. We might need one this season. Yes. So, Rachel, the big question on everyone's lips is, are you ready for some true crime? Oh, I was born ready. But hey, before we um, get into it, I just actually wanted to mention Murder Mile you spoke about last week. Oh, no. Was it was it not to your taste? Quite the opposite, actually, Mr. Rowe. I didn't, whilst I didn't listen to the case you suggested, I saw there was a 10-part miniseries based on the Soho Strangler, so I went with that. Ah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm halfway through now. What did you think about it? 
It's great. Like there was so much detail you didn't mention on all the other things, like the sound effects, the humor. It's like the production quality of an audio drama, but with that true crime element as well. I'm not actually usually a fan of older crimes, but this had me hooked. That's great to hear. Yeah, and I wanted to mention it because often I hear recommendations on other pods and I always intend to listen, but I never do. So I wanted to let our listeners know that this is a great addition and definitely worth your time. For sure. It's always good to make sure we keep our listeners aware of excellent shows out there. And Murder Mouth definitely is an excellent show. Yeah, so thanks for the recommendation. No bother. So let's get into the story then. Yeah, absolutely. We can start now. Sorry. It's been a while since I've been there. So I'm going back to Ireland today, Rachel. Nice. And I'd like to take us to Saturday the 16th of January, 2016. And there was a couple, Brian O'Dwyer and Mary Costigan, who were out taking a stroll by the Grand Canal at Ardcuff in County Kildare. It was the early afternoon. It was dry but cold. It was around 5 degrees Celsius, which is around 41 degrees Fahrenheit. And it wasn't a day that you'd leave your cold home for sure, Rachel. Definitely not. Not in January and in Ireland, ever. Yeah, uh, definitely not. So the couple, they were walking along, chatting, enjoying spending some quality time together, you know, as you do, when one of them spots what looks like a new suitcase floating in the canal. Oh, God. Possibly. So after a little debate between the pair, Brian decided to fish the case out of the canal and see what was inside of it. Wow. He, he Yeah, he managed to stretch and grab, grab a hold of it, stating to his partner, Mary, that there must be something inside it because it was quite heavy. Oh, no. After he managed to drag it onto a towpath next to the canal, Mary came alongside him as he unzipped the case to see what was inside of it. He then stumbled back slightly thinking he knew what he was looking at, but he looked to his partner, Mary, for assurance of what he thought it was or if he was wrong. And he said to her, is that a body? And she just simply replied with, I think so. So what they could see was a plastic bag filled with red liquid and what looked like human skin inside. So the plastic bag was like in the suitcase, like covering the whole body or just separate? Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get it. No, it was they thought okay. it was a plastic bag, but it was actually like no, those plastic wrapping it. No, like if you're using it as like a dust cover or stuff like that, yeah. uh, like that type of thing. It was. Ah, uh, okay, got you. Yeah. Uh, but to them, they thought it was a plastic bag. So, so Brian immediately got on the phone to the guardie and simply said to them, "I think we found a body." Brian O'Dreyer was right. What he had stumbled upon with his partner was in fact a body, not a complete body, Rachel, but a torso wrapped in clear plastic and bound together with red ratchet straps. Later, Deputy State Pathologist Dr. Michael Curtis would state that the limbs and head of the body had been cut off with a high-speed mechanical saw, so a chainsaw, basically. I don't know whether my stomach uh, was able to um, cope with this this morning. Hopefully you can. Um... If I go very silent, I've uh, had to dash off. (laughs) Yes, um, and while... Made a mic does do great sound effects. We're not going to be doing any vomiting sound effects today. No, please. And thank you. When the guard arrived, they had little to go on. There was no crime scene, just a suitcase with no head or limbs. So they didn't know the identity of the body. All they could tell was that it was a white adult male. So who was this man? And how did he get into the suitcase? Was it foul play? Was it accidental? 
Or was it natural causes that caused him to die? <laughs> I don't think it's natural causes. He's got no head or limb. No, but it could be natural causes that caused him to die. Oh, mean... and then somebody panicked. Yes. Right. Okay. Interesting idea. Still don't believe it's natural causes. I'm wondering how long he'd been there for as well. I'm sure you'll let us know. I shall indeed. But I guess what I need to do to start with is to introduce you to a few new characters in this story, Rachel. So that we can solve that puzzle, including the questions that you've just asked. Firstly, let me introduce you to Kenneth O'Brien, or Ken, as he likes to be known. He was in a long-term relationship with Ima Dunn, and they had a young son called Charlie. Prior to this date in early 2016, Ken had been working mostly for the last couple of years in Australia. He was a JCB driver, a mechanic, and a devoted father to his son, Charlie. Well, while he had been working in Australia, his partner stayed behind in their home on Leyland Road in Clondarkin, which is an area of Dublin. He regularly sent money home so she could pay the mortgage and other bills and bring up their son. But the Christmas that had just gone, so Christmas of 2015, he moved back to Ireland to work there and be back with his family for good. That must have been a nice Christmas, like, for everyone to be reunited, knowing that he wouldn't be travelling halfway across the world again. Yes, definitely. Now, his partner, Ima, she had planned to have some celebrations for her 30th birthday on the 15th of January, the day before the body turned up, but he had cancelled them because Ken had told her he had to head off to Limerick for a few days with her job. So it's cancelled for a few days. Early in the morning of the 15th, as his partner was leaving the house with their son, his son had kissed him goodbye and he said to his partner not to forget he'll be home late that evening. He was, however, still at home between 10 and 11 a.m. as he let the Wi-Fi installer into his house and then he left him to it and left the house. Throughout the day of the 15th, as was normal between Ken and Ima, they shared text messages, just ordinary banter, she'll describe it as. But he suddenly stopped replying at 1.30pm, something which was really unusual for him. So later on that afternoon, about 4 or 5pm-ish, she tried to call Ken, but his phone was turned off. So now she started to worry. About 3.30am that night, well, you know, the early hours of the 16th of January, she got a text message from a number she didn't recognise. And it said this, Lost my phone today. I'm staying in a hotel tonight, having a drink, talk tomorrow. Oh, wow. She she thought that was odd because it was not like him at all. But given it was really late, like 3.30 in the morning, she left it for the time being. Mm, um, she might have left it, but I'm sure she was seething as well. On the, like, I'm guessing that most of her mind and body were telling her this isn't right, but there was a part of her going, if it is right, I'm going to kill him when he gets home. Quite possibly, yeah. So the, the following morning, however, she got another text message from the number, same number, but this one really did have a worried. It said this. So here it is. I'm heading for the ferry today. I can't handle being home and I want out. I met someone else. She came to Ireland yesterday. I met her today and I'm going with her. This, yes. So this obviously, Rachel, it really worried Ima. She knew Ken and had in the past been unfaithful to her. But that's not what was worrying her, believe it or not. She knew. She also knew, because she'd been with Ken for years, she also knew that Ken was very, was very particular about his text messages, making sure his spelling and punctuation was always spot on. 
And this time, it had a lot of errors. How often do you hear this as well? Like, you know, I, I, I'm guessing you're going to go on to say that it was Ken who was found in the suitcase and that the killer has, you know, picked up the phone or, or you know, potentially not in this case because he, he isn't able to text off of Ken's number. But um, they've kind of just picked up the phone, just sent a message without thinking twice about uh, how messages usually come, whether there are kisses, uh, what they what what a, a husband and wife might call each other, you know, instead of, hey, I'm a, it could have been, hey, babe. You know, I would know immediately if somebody else was texting on behalf of my other half because we have a certain like way that, you know, you just get used to talking to each other, don't you? And you just hear it so often. Um, in a case that I covered last year, there was, um, you know, and you know, one of the parents said, well, I knew something was wrong because she, she was always with her phone and then she stopped texting. And it's just behavior that as a parent, as a partner, you're just used to and familiar with. And the killers are often caught out because they're, they're out, outside of that pattern of behavior, trying to, you know, still connect the dots, but it, it's not not working. Exactly. Just how you 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 you're exactly right, Rachel. Just how so when people have certain styles of talking and have certain ways of messaging too. So like like if it wasn't my wife, I would know exactly that it wasn't her messaging me. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. Because she's not told you like, did you put the bins out before saying love you, babe? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so now that's why she wasn't worried about the actual message because she didn't think it was him. She, so she was now actually convinced it wasn't Ken who was messaging her. And she didn't know what to do, Rach. She she was out of her mind with worry. So she started phoning around his friends to see if anyone had seen him or knew anything. After she had been unsuccessful several times, she eventually managed to get some information from one of his friends, Paul Wells. Now, Paul told her that Ken had been seeing someone else. And then, to prove it, he forwarded some photos he had on his phone to Ima, some of them intimate with Ken and another woman that he said Ken had sent to him so he could prove to her that Ken was cheating on her. That's a good friend, isn't it? But Yeah, I don't quite know where this is going. Like, why would you do that if, you, if you're if you a pal of Ken's? And yeah, there's uh, something going to be a bit sinister about this, isn't there? Is it Ken in the case? It might not be. But So Alma would later say that she felt weak when she saw them because she knew Ken had been unfaithful in the past and she suspect, had suspected something was happening when he was over in Australia too, but she never really knew it for, for sure. She just suspected it. But she also knew, Rachel, that right now, in that moment in time, they were both getting on really great and that Ken was home for good. So Anything that happened in Australia can't have been happening anymore because it was so far away. Yeah, and that he'd come home, it was a fresh start. They just needed to move forward. Exactly. So, and she even said to Wells, Paul Wells, there's something not right here. So that afternoon, a few hours after the body was found in the suitcase, I reported Ken missing to the garden. So the next day on the 17th, with Paul Wells, the only one who was giving her any information at all, even if she didn't fully believe it, she met up with him outside McDonald's or Liffey Valley. Now, Liffey Valley is a shopping centre, for those who don't know, and in Dublin, well, outskirts of Dublin. So Paul proceeded to show her the photos again to prove it was killing the photos. Jeez. And he said to her that 
So he's probably just in some hotel room somewhere with a woman. However, when Ken's mum, Susan, saw the news reports that they'd found a torso in a canal, she said to her husband, I hope it doesn't mean anything, because she knew her son had worked in a garage in that area in the past. So sadly, Rachel, you guessed it already. A few days later, DNA results would bring devastation to Ken's family and partner. Then they would show that the torso was Ken's. Wow. I mean... The killer did a really crap job of, of like hiding it, didn't he? For it to have been discovered literally the next day. You probably didn't realise that if you put a, a fastened no. up case, probably a plastic one as well in a, in water, it's going to float, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, obviously, they never had rubber ducks when there was a kid in the bath. <laughs> um, but anyway, the, the police, they had no leads or clues, Rage. Ken wasn't a criminal. He didn't associate with that type of person. And up to a month before, he'd been in Australia for three years. And he only ever came back at Christmas and on his son's birthday. So he only came back twice a year over three years. And while by now they knew someone had chopped him up with a chainsaw, they didn't have his arms, legs or head, so they didn't know how he died. And at that time, they had no forensic evidence or CCTV, so they had nothing. So they, they went with what they could do. They started examining his bank accounts to see if that would lead them anywhere. And you know what, Rachel? It did lead them somewhere. Can you guess where it led them? Straight to his best friend. Paul Wells, yes. It led them to Paul Wells, the same man who had spoken with Ima when she was searching for him. Wow. It, it turns out that while Ken was in Australia, he spent his money mainly on two things. The first one was money he sent back to Ima for the mortgage and childcare and whatnot. And the second one was to Paul Wells. Then actually, Rachel, over his last 18 months in Australia, he'd sent more to Paul than to his partner. What? I know. It, it turns out he sent him more than 52,000 euros over that 18-month period. And that's a serious chunk of change, isn't it? I mean, what, what are you going to uncover here? I feel like, obviously, there's some sort of bribery going on. Um, um, well, well, yeah, I don't know, Rachel. We'll see. Well, it was, it was actually just over twice the amount he sent to Ima for the mortgage and childcare. So he sent twice as much to Paul. Yeah. So let's see how they became friends, shall we? When it was, well, they became friends when Ken used to work in a garage in Ardcliff, the same one his mum thought about earlier. And they'd met there and became friends. But does that mean that he killed him? And let me ask you a question, Rachel. Why would you kill someone who kept sending you that amount of cash. And also, probably importantly, why was he sending him in the cash? You'd kill him if he threatened to stop paying you. Possibly, yeah. I tell you what, the guard didn't know the answers to these questions. And they didn't have enough to arrest Paul, so the investigation continued. A few days later, on January 22nd, the case progressed. Only a little bit, but it still progressed. Some 20 kilometres north of where Ken's body was found, a man, now McDermott, was walking his dog. And he was at Pike's Bridge in Maynooth. Now, the bridge was going over the Royal Canal, and he spotted what he thought in the canal was a chainsaw. So he informed the police. And that's a pretty good citizen, because most people be like, why are people chucking the rubbish away? But he informed the police, and he recovered it, but he didn't have his chain with it. So it held little forensic value to them. The big break for the guarder came two days later when a fisherman was fishing in the Grand Canal in Salins, which is not far from where Ken's body was found, and his line caught on something. 
it was a su- supermarket shopping bag that he thought looked suspicious. And he was he was aware that the police were looking for body parts because it had been in the news. So he contacted the guardie. Now, Detective Garder, Gerald Byrne, was called to the scene and upon investigation, he thought he could see a flesh-coloured object in the bag. So he called on police divers to recover it and search the area for any more bags. Inside the original bag was part of a lower leg with a foot attached to it and the divers found three more bags, all different part, body parts in them, nine different body parts in total. One bag contained the arms in four sections, the legs also in four parts with the feet attached were found in two more bags, and a, oh. four, yeah, and a fourth bag contained the head, and the head had a bullet inside it. <gasps> so, definitely not natural causes. No. Uh, one of the upper arms was tattooed, with the name Ken, uh, so they figured. But his hands were never found, actually. But so, the... get, why would you get your own name tattooed on you? <laughs> no, I don't mean that. to speak ill of the dead. I, but... was think, I was thinking that maybe unless they had like I'm on another. Arm. I, I'm not sure to tell you the truth, but the police were pretty confident that this was Ken. And after further testing, it was Ken. When they conducted a postmortem on the body parts. They found that Ken died from a gunshot wound to the head that the pathologist described as being instantly fatal. Wow. The, the pathologist could tell from the contact entry wound that when he had been shot, the muzzle of the gun was pressed against Ken's head, leaving him with no chance of survival. And as the bullet had travelled downward slightly in Paul's head, the pathologist could determine that the gun had been pointing downwards when fired. So it was likely that whomever shot Ken was doing it from above, so maybe Ken was either on his knees at the time or lying down on the floor. So with the bank account information, the details that Ima had given the police about the conversation she's had with Paul, and the fact that Paul, it was widely accepted, and actually he didn't deny it himself, that Paul was a member of the IRA, He had served and he had served time in prison previously on weapons charges, on guns charges, the focus fully turned to him. Unsurprisingly, Rachel, would you say? Yeah, I'm definitely not surprised. Paul was um, not uh, Ken's friend. But there was one problem, though, Rachel. They still didn't have enough evidence to actually arrest him. You're joking me. Well, no, because they had the body. Yeah, they had the body parts. They had the chains, but without the chain, and it'd been in the water, so no prints or anything, no forensics. They didn't have a crime scene, and even though he had his past, it didn't mean that he was guilty of murder. Well, I wonder where that mobile phone was with the um the random text messages, like, and obviously the gun, like, hoping that the police could find those. Yeah, definitely. Let's skip forward a few days, shall we, to the 5th of February, Rachel. And this is when the guardie finally has the movement on Ken's death. So on that day, Paul Wells, but not Paul Wells Senior, Paul Wells Junior, so his son, so I'm going to refer to him as Junior going forward to avoid to avoid confusion. Yeah, he would walk into a garden station, and he confessed to the police that his father told him that he had killed Ken and he had chopped his body up with a chainsaw. <sighs> he would go on to tell the guardie that he had got a phone call from his brother on the 16th of January, asking him to meet his father in a Tesco car park. He said that when he met his father around 7 p.m. in the car park, they drove towards Stratham Village, and that Paul Senior seemed on edge. 
he said this about his father. He was sweating all the time. I thought I was going to be shot. I mean, that's nice to think. My, my father's on edge, so he's going to shoot me, isn't it? But, <laughs> but he then went on to describe how his father pulled up next to the canal on Salem's Road, so the same place where the body parts were found, and he went oh. to the boot of his car, and a few moments later, he heard two splashes. The next day, the police would find the rest of the chainsaw bits after Junior had told them where to look for them, and they would arrest Senior and search his home and property. Oh, bravo, Junior. That couldn't have been easy, like, dobbing your father in, could it? No, it couldn't have been. So when he would have, when he was arrested, he would tell the guardie that he was Ken's friend and that he wouldn't have killed him. He would be interviewed a total of 15 times over the following six days. Initially, he was very talkative, saying that the two were good friends and would call each other bud and that he was like an older brother to Ken. He said that he hadn't seen him since the Monday before he went missing, when he had met him for a cup of coffee. He said that he told Ima what he did because his gut instinct was that he had not wanted to come home from Australia, Ken that is, so he had done a runner, saying that Ken always confided in him and he had told him about three different women he was having an affair with, a neighbour in Ireland, a woman from Rwanda that lived in Ireland, and an Irish woman that he met in Australia. He would go on to say that on the day in question, he had taken his wife and son to the train station as they were going on a trip to Cork. He had then gone and done some window shopping before going home to cook some chops. That his son, his other son, Gary, had visited him, but he ended up watching TV to 2am before falling asleep and he continually denied having anything to do with the murder. However, it's a good however. The guard the was obtaining lots of evidence while they were interviewing him. They found CCTV that was showing by the SIM card and the morning Ken went missing. The yes. same The same SIM card that was used to text Imer. And the number linked to that card used a cell tower that was close to Paul's house. At 5.38 on the Saturday morning when he told police he was asleep, more CCTV would show him driving southbound on the M50 motorway. And later on in that morning, he would be caught again on more CCTV buying black bin bags and bleach. A sneaky bugger. Yes. He would be shown evidence of the money transfers from Ken to him. And also, even more CCTV showing him withdrawing 20,000 euros of that money in the weeks leading to Ken's death. He would be told that the blood that blood was found in the boot of his car and in his shed. And that blood later turned out to be Ken's, but he continued to deny any involvement. What on earth had Ken done to pay him twenty thousand euro? Well, fifty-two. We'll get on to that. Uh, okay. it's interesting. But it was it was only on the seventh interview that he was told what Junior had told the police, basically that Junior had confessed. Wow. It was it was only then that he shut up, stopped being talkative, and he replied with the same answer to the questions. I'm not saying anything at this time. So when the seventh interview ended, though, and he was being taken back to his cells, he turned around to the guarder who had been interviewing him, saying this, I'll tell you everything in the morning. What happened to Kenneth is tearing me asunder. But, Rachel, that wasn't quite true. Later that evening, he called in the guarder on duty to his cell, and he confessed to killing Ken. He would go on to call Ken a bit of a head case, and that because he had links to the IRA, Paul that is, not Ken, Ken assumed that he'd be willing to commit a murder for him. So that's what the money was for. Yeah, he said that Ken wanted him to kill his partner, Ima, 
so that he could take their son Charlie to Australia and start a new life. Oh, my God. He did say, though, that he'd never kill a woman, so he had no intention of doing it, and that Ken had arranged to meet him in the shopping centre that morning, the morning that Ken went missing, to swap a SIM card that Paul had bought, the SIM card which we talked about a moment ago, and for a gun that Ken had. However, as Paul had no intention of killing anymore, he didn't meet him. He said that Ken turned up later that afternoon at his house and had gotten into a fight because Paul didn't want to kill anymore. He said that in the fight, they struggled and he'd grabbed a gun when Ken had dropped it and just shot it out of fear and panic. He said that he wasn't thinking straight, so he chopped the body up to get rid of it. I'm not believing this. I'm sorry. Yeah, unsurprisingly, he was arrested and it went to trial with him pleading not guilty. And I suppose I'm not going to go over the trial because I've spoke about a lot of the evidence that they had already but the only other bit of evidence that i've not mentioned was in, that was interesting was from his other son gary so he testified that his dad had called him that day to tell him not to call, come home that evening yeah. and, the ne- and the next day when he did go home his dad was cleaning the outside deck with bleach he said that he'd been given a bag of rubbish to throw away that contained cardboard covered in a red liquid obviously blood and another cha- bag with chainsaw parts that he was given to give to his brother, Paul Jr., to dispose of. So he would be found guilty of murder and sentenced to life. So in Ireland, it's slightly different, Rachel. Judges don't give a minimum term. They just give life. But the minimum amount of time before parole can be sought is 12 years. That doesn't mean that every killer gets out after 12 years. And from the stats I could find... The average sentence for murder in Ireland, so a sentence for someone actually stays in prison, is 20 years. Wow. So the the only exception to this in Ireland is what they call capital murder. So capital murder, do you know what that is, Rach? Um, First, like the equivalent of first degree? No, capital murder is is when, I didn't know about it until I heard it, which is, it's when it's either the murder of a guard officer, a diplomat. Oh, okay. Or murder for political reasons or things similar to that. Yeah. So so that type of murder in Ireland does have a minimum sentence. And that minimum sentence is 40 years. That's, that's, a, that's a deterrent, isn't it? Absolutely. And like it's necessary, isn't it? Because the Garda are trying to keep you safe. And, yeah. you know, you're taking their life when they're risking theirs every day. It's, um, yeah, and also politically driven crime. You know, it does does need to be punished, but um, interesting that the um, life imprisonment for for non capital murder or any other murder is is just so blanketly like low. Yeah, well, it's just because it's so there's no minimum term, so it's up to. I think the the fear behind it, they're petitioning now to raise it to twenty years, I believe, but the fear behind it is because it's. They can apply for pro after 12 years. Doesn't mean they're going to get it. So in theory, they don't have to release someone. They can just keep him in forever. Um, yeah. That's the theory behind it. But, but Rage, there's a little bit more of this story to go through, believe it or not. Indeed. So do you remember Junior? Well, he yeah. would also be arrested. Now, now he would be arrested on impeding the apprehension of a criminal. He would plead not guilty, basically by 
uh, disposing of the chainsaw parts and and whatnot and taking his dad to dispose of the body parts, he would plead not guilty, seeing that he did it because he feared his dad would shoot him. Um, however, the prosecution would find evidence that his dad, his dad gave him 11,000 euros for it. He always denied this and said he gave it his dad straight back again, but uh, they didn't believe him. So he would be found guilty and he was sentenced to two years in prison. Wow. And, and it's actually really weird. Uh, I don't know why I didn't put this in the script. Um, a story came out where he was saying that he had to shoot his son because if he didn't shoot his son, the IRA said to shoot him. Um, and he also, like, when he, there was a trial, Paul Jr., so Jr., yeah. Asked the guard officer to handcuff him so that he couldn't attack his dad in the courtroom. It was all right oh there. Lots of drama, yeah. And so I that... guess he got such a short, small sentence because he'd helped the police like nail the conviction against his dad. Because two yeah. years is nothing for helping dispose of a body, really, is it? Yeah. No. In the course of justice and all that. Yeah, no, it's not really. Probably, yeah. So what do you think of that story then, Rach? I find myself frustrated that we never got probably the truth because I actually don't believe that Ken would have offed his wife. Um, Obviously don't know a lot about him, but I just feel like that was a really extreme plot twist that Paul tried to throw in in the end. Um, Could it have been that you know, Ken was paying him to keep secrets, I don't know, and then one day just turned around and went, I'm not paying you anymore, Um, you're meant to be my friend, and he, and he you know, had a moment of madness and, and shot him. Yeah, I don't know, it never actually came out, so the prosecution in the trial, they alluded to Ken killed, sorry, Paul killed Ken over the money, Um, over an argument about the money, that Ken wanted it back, but Paul said no, but they could never really prove that. That was just a suggestion as to why. And Ken never, ever, sorry, Paul never, ever admitted as no. to why. He, he always took to buy the story that it was to kill Ima. And the, and the thing is as well, like £52,000 is a lot to pay for an assassination. Like, um, yeah. you know, I, I, I just don't quite believe it. Whether... He was saying to Ken, uh, to Paul, you know, I'm going to siphon some money off to you because I can't keep it anywhere that I can't access it. And when I'm ready, I'm going to run away with, you know, my missus and my new missus and a, a wad of that cash. So it'd be great if if I can come up and, you know, get it off you when, when payday comes. And, you know, maybe Paul, again, like had a moment of madness and thought, why do you get your happy ending? Like, but again, to shoot him is so extreme, like, instead of just warning his wife that it he was, was but, so promiscuous. But given the background that he has. Yeah, with the it, IRA, connections with the IRA. Yeah, it might not be. And he even called himself a member of the IRA, so it's not me. Like, it's not just gossip. He, no. He, he openly admitted it. So odd. I just feel like he had a lot of time to concoct that backstory, didn't he? Yeah. And then yeah. all of a sudden spill his guts to the prison officers and he went into so if you like gory stuff listeners he went into so much detail about what he did after ken died i haven't included that that's why i said at the beginning i couldn't remember if i included it or not but no i haven't included that because it made me not feel great uh, so yeah it, it, it's out there but 
It's an odd one, Rachel. It's an odd one. He could actually, I don't know, but this was 2016. So in theory, he could be out in 2028. That's wild, isn't it? Like, take a man's life. And in such a brutal way again, like, he didn't just kill him or push him off a bridge or like, you know, he, he shot him and then dismembered him and then spread him across multiple sites. And he, yeah, he could be walking free in 12 years. For for me, that that's dangerous. And they never found his hands. Actually, oh. what, what he said he did with Ken's hands is he said that after he disposed of the body parts and the chainsaw or whatnot, the next day he went in his shed and he realized he forgot the hands and they were still on the shelf in his shed. So he just he just went to a river and threw them in the river. But I, I guess that shows the mentality of the man. Like, oh, oops, forgot these. Just get rid of them. He almost seems as well like he's got a bit of bragging rights to say, oh, yeah, I forgot the hands, so I just chucked them in the river. Like, so, like, senseless, isn't it? Again, another senseless crime over something that we'll never get to the bottom of. Um which just doesn't sit right, but really interesting story and not one I've heard. So again, you, uh, you've you opened my mind and ta- ta- told me something new. So thank you. Yeah, I thought I'd better go back to Ireland because it's been a while. We always say UK and Ireland, and we never cover it. And I, I live here, so I read about the, the cases. I guess I'm just a little bit afraid that I'll get them wrong because it's, it's harder to access the court stuff in Ireland than it is the UK. And there's always that element, isn't there, that, you know, you are only as good as what you're um, researching and discovering uh, in the early days of, of your script writing. And, you know, one one paper, one news outlet or, or television reporter gets something wrong. A lot of other newspapers, outlets, reporters follow that, follow that pattern on and continue along, you know, that storyline. So it's. It, for me, it's always um, a risk that we take, isn't it? That we, oh, de- um, you know, under- get the ages right, get the siblings correct, you know, location and stuff like that. Uh, we're, we're at the mercy of what's out there in the in the press. So never fear, just bring it forward. And we are always happy as well to correct ourselves if we are misinformed. It's never intentional. It's, um, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And so shall I wrap this up then, Rachel? Yeah, go for it. Okay, so this has been Season 3, Episode 2, called Buds for Life. And for one last time, if it's safe to do so, I'd like you to relax, close your eyes and picture the scene. You're walking along a canal, and there are never cleans of places anyway, but you see a suitcase in the water. What do you do? Do you open it? Or would you just quickly walk along and leave it alone? What would you do, Rachel? Uh, I think I'd leave it alone, you know. I'd probably call probably someone. Would. I'd probably yeah. call call someone, uh, like the park warden, the police, or you even... know, whatever felt natural at the time, I would go ahead and do. But I'm not the kind of person, albeit I'm very curious, I'm not the kind of person that could deal with finding something. Um, and it always scares me, you know, when you hear of these um, walks that people do uh, when they're hunting for like evidence and ultimately they're, they're trying to find a missing person. Yeah. So they're scouring the the fields and, and the rivers and the banks and, you know, 
the outdoors it like don't get me wrong if it was a neighbor a friend a family member I'm sure I would be there helping in some way but I'm not sure that I could be out looking for them because I would just be in fear of what what could be found if that makes sense that makes perfect sense Rach so with that thank you everyone and until next time we shall um pretty horrific case next week actually but until next time oh wow that that turned quickly yes until next time stay happy and goodbye try and stay happy guys bye Thank you.